Hi, my name is Fritzi Horstman, and welcome to Compassion in Action. Today, my guest is Emily Evans. Emily is a therapist who has spent her career helping adults, adolescents, and children heal from the effects of developmental, systemic, and institutional trauma. She specializes in the treatment of PTSD, substance addiction, attachment disorders, ADHD, mood disorders, and anxiety. Her focus is on healing the mind-body connection through the practical application of neuroscience and collective restoration. She is active on community action teams throughout Delaware for reducing incarceration, recidivism, and racial disparities in the legal system. Emily Evans, welcome to Compassion in Action. Would you mind telling us a little bit about your background, what you do, and um, what your passions are? Sure. So I am a licensed professional counselor. I'm a clinician in private practice. I, um, I do counseling every day for individuals, families, groups. I treat adults, adolescents, and children. And uh, I focus on healing trauma. Uh, hmm. So that's kind of my specialty. And that's, that's what I do. So, so I really want to like grind down on what is trauma. And as you know, I work on adverse childhood experiences. That's kind of my little focus with the incarcerated population and the correctional population. Right. And I wanted to, maybe you can just give us a little, a little primer on what trauma does to the brain, body, and spirit, if you don't mind. Mm, I love how you say that to brain, body, and spirit, because it does affect all three. And so often, I think in our culture, we only like to look at one at a time. And it's so important to look at the whole person and how these adverse experiences, trauma, right, affect each person. And so, so trauma it runs the gamut, right? It depends very much on the individual person. It de depends uh, on the types of support, right, that are in place or may not be in place when this traumatic experience takes place. But basically, you know, a very general definition of trauma is something that is overwhelming to the person, something that happens to the person that is overwhelming outside of their control, right? And, um, and so because of those two things, their body, brain, and spirit react in a protective way. Right. And, mm -hmm. and this protective way, if it was an animal in the wild, it, it would shake it off, right? If, if, right. He was a, if it was attacked, like I, I see ducks in the, in the water, they have a fight and then suddenly they're they're, they're separated and they're shaking it off. Exactly. But we don't, we don't shake it off. No, no, we don't. We need to be taught, right? There are so many times I will be teaching a client, right? Or a person different skills, right? How to get discharge this energy, right? That's been stuck in their brain, body, spirit, probably all three because of this traumatic experience. And they'll say things to me like, why was I never taught how to do this? Right? And, and it's just, our, it's our, our culture is traumatized, right? No matter what culture we come from. Um, and some cultures I think are, are inherently more accepting of the practices that can be healing while others, right, just want to live between our ears up here, right? And you can't think your way out of trauma. No. So, okay. So let's, can we give um, our, our listeners and our audience an example? Let's give an example of, um, I would like to use an adverse childhood experience. Let's yeah. say emotional abuse. Okay. And then see, and how, through time, this evolves and, and 
changes our behavior and changes the way we respond to the world or actually react to the world. We're not responding, we're reacting, right? Yes, love that distinction. <laughs> oh, Fritzy. Um, okay, so emotional abuse, okay. Um, and again, we're talking about adverse childhood experiences, right? A lot of what we would call developmental trauma uh, takes place in those formative years of childhood, right? And we know that there are sensitive periods in our development where trauma is likely to have an even greater effect, right? So if a child is living in an environment where there's a lot of emotional abuse, right? And we could define that any number of ways. It could be things like just invalidation, right? The child has an emotion, let's say it's sadness. So the child cries, okay? And perhaps because this child's growing up in an environment where there's a lot of poverty, a lot of violence, community violence, right? This child's parents are going to teach that child, no, you don't cry, pull yourself up, put those tears away. You need to be tough, right? So again, it's, it's in love. It's, it's kind of like you need to be tough to survive, but the sadness isn't validated. So the child learns to turn off the sadness and the tears, but here's the thing, we can't just turn off one emotion. It's all of them, <laughs> right? So with the sadness, we turn off anger, we turn off joy, we turn off jealousy, we turn off all of the feelings, right? And so there's a split, right, within the self, right? We start to um, have these fractures in our identity, right? And so certain parts of us are not allowed to exist, right? And that, that affects the spirit, right? That affects the spirit. And then our bodies, right? Our bodies are affected, you know, in this example, the child may not be able to cry, right? We have lots of, I have lots of adult clients who would say, if I could just cry, that'd be great. <laughs> you know, and they, and they have to learn to cry again. What you're talking about is, is numbing, right? And some people call yeah. it disassociation, right? Mm -hmm. We dissociate from our feelings, we're numb. And that sounds very similar to uh, addiction, alcoholism. Yes. yes. So this numbing seems to be prevalent in our society uh, in different ways, like our addiction, like I'm a workaholic, so I'll numb, so I don't have to feel, um, you know, the sadness that I have for my father dying. Um, right. And, or I'll watch my father who was an alcoholic, he was so sad that he just drank and he was so abused, he, he just drank. So, so we're dealing with a numb society right now. I mean, Netflix, of course it's doing so well because <laughs> people don't wanna face what's going on. Um, so what happens when we, when we push everything down, like you're describing, what happens to our spirit? Mm. So one of, one of my favorite quotes that I learned from a mindfulness teacher um, is that, you know, a lot of us end up living a few feet outside of our bodies, right? So, so we just walk around all the time, these disembodied souls, right? Because at some point, because of one or more traumas, we weren't allowed to to express or get in touch with our true selves, okay? So, and there's a lot of shame attached to that, right? There's another emotion we could talk about probably for hours. So, so because our emotions, right, either we weren't taught what, how to name them, we weren't taught uh, what they mean, um, you know, and that's a very core part of your being is, your emotional expression. So, so we're taught to deny that, right? And then a lot of times our traumas are body-based, right? They affect you know, sexual trauma, physical abuse, violence, uh, poverty. These are all things that affect our physical bodies, 
So we also learn to divorce ourselves and our spirits from the pain that we experience in our physical bodies, right? So it's like we walk around with, okay, here's my body, my spirit's over there, and my emotions are back there somewhere, I don't know. And so we, we have a hard time integrating all of these pieces of ourselves. And then we come in contact with other humans who are suffering from the same disintegration. And we have what we're seeing all over the place right now. So Gabor Mate talks about the split that we have to go through, which is kind of like what you're talking about, survival versus um, authenticity or attachment. Yes. He calls it attachment. Attachment, yes. So we basically, we give up who we are, our feelings, our soul, our, our magnificence mm -hmm. so that we can survive. And, yeah. and this is the choice that we believe we have to make. And right. So there's, yeah. And, and we do, we do many times have to make this choice so that our parents will take care of us. We'll do whatever yes. they say. Yes. Um, and so I, I think this has to do with generational abuse and mm -hmm. we've all forgotten who we are. Oh, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yes. And trauma, I, I just, I have to credit uh, Resma Menachem for this one. He was the one that said it, but I believe he quoted that there are scientific studies now that are, are showing us that trauma can be passed down up to 14 generations. Um, and I, I love studying epigenetics, right? Which shows that basically what happens in our environment, what happens outside of us gets inside and can turn on and off the expression of certain genes. I mean, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. That's so, it's, it's mind boggling. But when we talk about our country, the United States and the slavery, that's yes. 14, 15, 16 generations. But that, that trauma, mm -hmm. but it's, see, it's not just the slaves, right? It's the, right. It's the, the slave owners. And it's, yes. it's the people that are condoning it, even though they don't even have direct, direct relationship with the slavery. So exactly. we're all traumatized. Tra all of us. Slavery has traumatized the United States, right? Yes, it has. Absolutely. No question about it. And, and we're play. We are reenacting the trauma, right? Trauma that does not get healed and integrated. And human beings who don't become integrated end up reenacting the trauma. Right. And this is part of the work that I do with, you know, my clients that I'm working on finding ways to heal. Right. It's like we got to look at first. Right. What kinds of traumas happened to you. Right. And then we have to look at, OK, how did it affect you and how do you keep reenacting this? Right. And, and I love how you said, you know, earlier. This is adaptive, right? Because there's always so much shame and stigma around, you know, the types of behaviors and ways of thinking that we've adopted in order to survive, right? Right. So it's right. something I say, you know, to, and I've heard this a million times in recovery circles, right? People in the room say this all the time. It works until it doesn't. Right. So, so the adaptive things worked at one time, right? The adaptive behaviors worked to help you survive the trauma, okay? And, and now it's not working anymore, okay? So if we can look back and say, oh, that doesn't make me a bad person. That doesn't make me crazy, right? It was adaptive. It was very smart for me to do that. Um, and now I, you know, now I'm at a place where I don't need that behavior anymore to survive and we have to unlearn it and unlearning is always harder than learning something new. Wow. So I was traumatized. I had, I have seven aces and out of 10. And, um, so I'm right now I'm 57. I learned I was traumatized when I was 55, which was, that was like the blinking light, like, Oh, 
that's just, that, yes, but this awareness is what's so important is, is that's yes. just the first step for all of us, all of us yeah. in society. But I love what you say. There is the shame, the shame that we carry, but it's, it's the shame that we feel like we've done something bad, but right. it's, but that's also passed down through generations, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. The shame of harming slaves or our yes. African-American, we yes. have shame from that. The shame from being harmed and being mm -hmm. dehumanized because they say you can't dehumanize someone without dehumanizing yourself. Absolutely. So we're in a culture of, of, um, inherited dehumanization, right? Yes. That's yes. Inherited dehumanization, right? We have witnessed, right? We've been witness to so much dehumanization of one another. Um, and we're reenacting it. We're reenacting it out, out on, you know, wash in Washington. We're, we're reenacting it in the, in Congress. We're reenacting yes. it Black Lives Matter. We're reenacting it with Antifa or whatever that is. Right. <laughs> yes. It's all reenactment. Yes. And in the, in the legal system, right, there's so much. And if we look at the history, right, of the legal system and what brought it into, into place, right, and, and how prisons came to be, there's so much trauma and dehumanization, and that's the foundation it was built on. And it's a foundation of domination, right? Yes. Like the idea that in order for me to be good, I have to take, I have to take someone out. Like, right. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's, but that's cultural. It's, it's within gangs. It's within yes. police departments. It's within prisons. Mm -hmm. It's within um, corporations. Oh yeah, and the way we're treating our earth, and the way we're treating um, poor people, yes. all these systems of domination, right? Like, and abuses of power, abuses. abuses of power, and good versus evil, and using that that duality, mm. the power of law, right? The power of law. You are bad, therefore you have to be punished instead of. You did something wrong and we got to find out what happened to you, right? That's a exactly. different, that's a shift. That's a shift in how we perceive um, what we're doing. What, how yes. We, right? Yes. And that's such a difficult shift. Okay. So, so going back to what trauma does to the brain. <laughs> um, okay. Let me think how I want to say this and bring this all together. I love that you brought this up. This is perfect. So the duality, yeah. the black and white thinking, the either or. Okay. If you think about a person who's in survival mode, that's what it is. It's dualistic thinking, right? It's either good or bad. It's right or wrong, right? And, and I have to make sure that I protect myself, okay? And it's me or them, right? Yes. It's I'm going to get them before they get me, okay? right? This is the survivalist mindset that repeated traumatization manifests, right? So what we have is a bunch of people that are operating on what I call like auxiliary mode in your brain, right? It's like only the essential necessary systems are on, <laughs> right? So you're, you're using that very primitive part of the brain, the downstairs brain, right? Your right. brain stem and your limbic system, okay? The limbic system is, is the amygdala, right? Which is the, the smoke alarm of the brain, right? That tells you when to fight, flight, or freeze, fight, flee, or freeze. Um, so, you know, so we've got a whole bunch of people just operating in their downstairs primitive brains, okay? And then, in order for that shift that you just spoke about, that change in mindset to take place, we need to be able to use our whole brains, <laughs> right? We need to be able to see nuance and we need to be able to be, have empathy, right? 
You can't have empathy if you're only in your downstairs brain. Doesn't work. And when you're in fight, flight, or freeze, this part of the brain is offline, offline. right? We offline. have no we have no access to empathy or no, it's freeze. like it's, yeah, it's like um brakes and gas, right? When you're driving a car. So so the the Hold on. We got <laughs> we got a dog coming. So it's brakes and gas. We're hold on. Let's um, okay. let me pause. Let me, okay, there we go. So, so it's like uh, the gas pedal and the brakes in your brain, right? So the, the amygdala, right, is always in defense mode, right? It's always like, yeah, hold on. Like, <laughs> don't go towards anything because it's going to hurt you. Um, and, and you should probably be defensive and fight it, you know, or, or run away or just freeze and hope that it doesn't notice you, right? Um, so, so that makes it impossible, right? That state of mind makes it impossible to connect and attach with other people, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're going to be throwing off all of these signs, right? That the downstairs brain interprets as dangerous, okay? So you have to be in your upstairs brain or have your lid on, like Dan Siegel says, right? You keep that lid on. That's the only way that we can connect and safely approach and attach to one another as if we're all in our upstairs brains. Okay, so wait, we talk about prisons. Everyone yeah. is in their downstairs brain. Huh. So yes. they, they can't connect, they can't attach, yeah. they can't, um, they can't even it's form. It's not safe. It's not safe. So, not and safe. Pol policemen, when they're out, in, in neighborhoods that they perceive yes. are dangerous. Yes. They're in their downstairs brain. All the people, the human beings that they're encountering, right, are being received and filtered as threats that I need to defend myself against, right? So no wonder. <laughs> right, and this, so this, this part of the brain, the upstairs brain is, mm -hmm. is not, the upstairs brain is not online. So we don't have no. access to it. A policeman does not have access to that part of the brain. And I, I, I know it's controversial to even defend it, but this, is, this goes across the line from people who commit crimes yes. to policemen who commit crimes. Yes. This is what's going on. It is not a moral choice on either side. If you're... If it's science. If you're in your downstairs brain, mm -hmm. there is no morality available to you. You are, no. you are acting like, I like to bring up road rage because a lot of people can understand that. You don't feel, yes, you don't feel safe, right? No. You don't feel safe and suddenly you're just yelling at the car. And It's so, a life and death situation. People die in car accidents all the time. Right. Yeah. You're right in your downstairs brain. It's like, okay, if I use the lid flip, right? I'll review this. I, I do this all the time. I'm sure people have heard it before, but you have a brain in your hand, <laughs> right? The thumb, okay, is your amygdala, okay? So we put the, it's in the middle of the brain. You actually have two, one on each side. You have a left amygdala and a right amygdala. I know, I didn't, I didn't know that. <laughs> right, so pretend my thumb is split in two. <laughs> so your amygdala, okay? This is the center of defense. This is the smoke alarm of the brain. It, it will go off and say, danger, 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 okay? And it's, only, it's just raw emotion, okay? And it is directly connected to your brain stem, which is responsible for your respiration, your heart rate, your blood pressure, all those necessary systems for life, okay? Then you have your prefrontal cortex, all right? This is your lid, your upstairs brain. Okay, all this here is your downstairs brain. This is your upstairs brain, okay? So, you know, pretend there's eyes and a nose and a mouth right here, right? <laughs> here it is. So what happens, right, is when you go into that defense mode because you're feeling threatened, you feel that your life is being threatened. And remember, this is the very definition of trauma. Something is happening to me that's threatening my life, that's overwhelming, Okay, and I can't control. You flip your lid, 
the upstairs brain goes offline and all you're doing is acting out of this auxiliary mode, right? This very primitive system that cannot connect with other people, that can only see other people as threats. Um, and that, that makes, I think of domestic violence. Ah, yes. Because I, I, I wonder why anyone would wanna hurt their wife or their kids, but, and, and, but the lid is flipped and they see, they don't see them, they don't as have them as a human. And it, but they have that capacity, but something triggers them. So can we talk yes. about triggers? Because that's, yes, that's a big thing um, that I don't think I didn't even understand that like, like a, someone cutting you off is a trigger, right? Uh-huh. Absolutely. Right? And everybody has different triggers depending on their traumas, right? That's, that's the hard part. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. You know, I'm just thinking like, with my husband in our marriage. Like he has different triggers than I do. And it's taken us 18 years to start to figure out what some of our triggers are, you know, because we unknowingly trip each other's triggers. And so you'll see that, you know, this person in front of you that you normally trust and feel is safe is having a complete lid flip moment and is acting insane. And it's like, what is going on with you? you triggered their trauma, right? And they, they flip their lid and they're back in that survival mode, right? Okay, so, so for triggers, um, it's super important to have compassion for yourself, right? To know what your own triggers are, right? And, and to, to be able to say to yourself and to others, okay, deep breath, right? <laughs> Of course, your, your body and your brain and your spirit are doing this right now because trauma knows no time frame, right? Trauma doesn't know that it's today, September 3rd, 2020. Trauma is telling you, oh, we're exactly right back there in that moment when it first happened. There's no time stamp, right? That's the important thing about the downstairs brain and the limbic system. It has no time stamp whatsoever. And that's another definition of the nature of trauma is that it happened in the past, but my body and my nervous system are experiencing it as if it were happening for the first time right now. Yes. And that's why you see, right? The reaction to triggers is very big and loud and scary. Yes. Okay. We're in a prison now. And uh -huh. guess, guess what? What? Basically everything is triggering, right? Yes. Yes. So, and, and this is something that's really important to get to the, the correctional officers and to the other people that are living in prison. Yes. That's so much, Fritzy. Right? Because when someone is triggered, they're not being disrespectful. They're not, they're trying to keep themselves safe. Yes. And, and they're going to be doing things that look crazy, that look that like mm -hmm. you need to be contained, you need to be set down. Oh yeah. And, and so it's the only way to untrigger somebody is to make them feel safe, right? Bingo. And guess what? <laughs> if, if I am in my downstairs brain and my lid is flipped, I don't have a prayer of helping another person put their lid on. <laughs> It starts with me. It begins with me. Okay, so if my lid is flipped and I'm trying to get someone else's lid back on, I don't have a prayer, right? It starts with me. It begins with me. I have to know how to keep my lid on, right? Or if my lid flips, because it inevitably will, because I'm human, I need to know how to get my own lid back right? So that if I am in the presence of someone who's in their downstairs brain, I can help them get their lid back on. By the way, the fancy word for that is co-regulating, right? right? I want to be a co-regulator, right? And I want to help someone get their lid back on. I first need to figure out how to get my lid back on. 
Right. But so prison is PTSD. I mean, I would say the P in, in PTSD is prison. Yeah, um, that sounds right. At least for the poor correctional officers. I mean, yeah. we're, I, I mean, I feel for everyone in that building because yeah. it's a trigger factory, you know, one. Yes. And, you know, we're, we're hearing people talk about, you know, you know the, the correctional officers get feces flung on them or whatever, mm -hmm. whatever's mm -hmm. going on. And then yeah. suddenly, suddenly they're triggered and they don't feel safe. And so nobody feels safe. And, you know, the life expectancy of a correctional officer is like 56 to 60 years old. Yeah. They lose, yeah. you know, they lose precious years they and, do. and they're just doing their job. They're just going to work. Mm. And mm. so I have compassion for every single person in that building yeah. um, because this is, and the way they've set it up, it's like war. So, mm -hmm. so, and a lot of PTSD is from childhood trauma, right? It's the, it's the, uh -huh. can you explain that? Yeah. So uh, again, there are studies that show that the higher a person's ACE score is, so the more um, the more that person has been exposed to childhood trauma, um, the more likely it is, the more vulnerable they are to develop full-blown PTSD symptoms, right? Because, you know, PTSD is um, a diagnosis. And, and, you know, in order to get the diagnosis, you have to check certain boxes, right? And, you know, there's, there's problems with that whole system that I won't get into, but, um, but yes, the more um, adversity that someone has in childhood, because remember, that's a very sensitive period of development, when the brain and nervous system is growing very quickly. Um, and, and, you know, human bodies and brains adapt to the environment that they believe they're going to exist in, right? Right. But, and what happens with that, during that development, doesn't the gray, there's less gray matter. Yes. There's, yes. so there's, and there's less neurons. There's the microglia. Yes. There's no microglia. Yeah, absolutely. The we, uh, myelination, right. Is when there are super highways in the brain, right. So when you learn how to tie your shoes, right. At first it's very difficult because that pathway, the tying my shoes pathway in your brain, right. Is, is getting built. Right? It's like building a highway, right? So they're the, you know, the construction <laughs> um, vehicles are coming in and building that road to tie your shoes, right? And then by the time you're in second grade, it's a super highway. You don't even have to think about it. You can close your eyes and just tie your shoes in like three seconds, right? That's myelination, okay? So, so if a child grows up in an environment of scarcity, right? And and there's a scare there's scarce resources like physically, there there's scarce resources emotionally, right? That child will learn I have to depend on myself. Right? I have to do everything myself. So all of those networks, right, for for defense and protecting self get myelinated and it's a super highway. And all of the networks that are for connection, right? And saying, I need support, I need help. Please let me connect and attach to you. They get pruned. <gasps> they get pruned. Don't need those, right? Because I'm living in an environment where I need to be wired for defense. And I, I sure as hell don't need to be connecting to people because that's going to be dangerous for me. I remember when I was eight years old, I made that decision. I said, I got to figure this out myself. Yep. I actually said that to myself. Yeah. Wow. And being adaptive, Ritzy, you were being adaptive. You were trying to survive. And, you know, I just think of all the men and women in prison mm -hmm. on both sides. Yeah. Yes. Sides. They've yes. all made that decision. And I mean, most of our country, but my, you know, my, yeah. My focus is prisons because I'm so concerned about what's being done in there. Yeah. But all those decisions 
they were made that I have to take care of myself. I can't depend on my community. I can't depend on my family. No. And that's an interesting thing. Um, there's a quote, it says, trauma brings up separation. It br is, creates yes. separation. So it's Absolutely. a sense that I'm separate from the world. Right? I'm separate from everyone else because that's adaptive, right? Again, if you think about a baby or a toddler, right? And every time that toddler cries, okay, that toddler is greeted with, shut up, stop, mm. and a slap, okay? That child learns, okay, I need to take care of myself when I cry, right? Right. And if I if I make a bit and what is crying right it's a bid for comfort and connection right but every time I make a bid for comfort and connection all I get is pain hmm. yeah so I'll be damned if I'm gonna keep reaching out it's just gonna cause me pain I'm gonna shut that off right and so we have entire generations of children who are now adults, right? And they're all saying, no, I'm not gonna connect. I'm not gonna attach. I'm not gonna see other people as humans because all that gets me is pain. So even our empathy, the empathy superhighway is shut down, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. So, so there's, at least 60%, 60% of Americans have at least one ACE, right? Adverse yeah. childhood experience. Right. So that's, and, and we have less gray matter. We're, we're less able to learn, right? That's one of the things. Yes. yes. The learning parts of the brain are in the upstairs. Right. And so that's shut down, right? Yes. So that's why we have recidivism. That's why we have, right? And again, it looks like insanity. It's like, are you just not getting it? And the answer is exactly. <laughs> it because they're not safe enough to learn. Right, safe enough to, to allow this part to, to come online. To exist, yeah. Because exactly. we're, 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 we're worried about being safe. Exactly. And um, so, you know, these special needs classes, it's, they should just be trauma relief classes. Right. Right. Because then they can learn. I mean, and we think we're stupid. We, we, we shame ourselves because we're, we can't, that, that math problem makes no sense. Right. But of course it can't make any sense because it's not coming in. There's no, this is not, this is not firing. No. And that's what I say all the time to you know, I work a lot with foster children and children who've been adopted. And I try to teach and help these families heal, right? So that these children can learn to attach. Um, and that's the hopeful part, right? Is that it doesn't matter what age you are, you can heal all of this, right? There, there's hope, so much hope. But that's what I tell the, the parents all the time, right? Because it is frustrating right? When you have a child that just doesn't seem to be getting it. And I'll say to them, their brain just can't. Their brain can't, right? Their heart wants to so bad, but their brain just can't yet. Because for every three years that a person lives in, a, in trauma, I'm sorry, for every one year a person lives in trauma, it takes about three years to heal. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, so I have kids that have been, you know, in traumatic environments for five years. Let's say they, they were placed in safety when they were five. It's going to take 15 years for that kid to start to heal and really start to um, attach and feel safe. So what about the people living in prison and the people working mm -hmm. in prison? Yeah. Well, there's hope. Yes, there's hope, but we can't wait any longer because no, we're we running out of time. Well, I know. I don't know what that means, though. I mean, <laughs> um, for so, them, for them, yes, we want them yes. to heal. Right? Yes, absolutely, right. And statistics show that 
somewhere in the 90%, right? That, that percentage of people who enter the system will eventually come out, right? Mm -hmm. Will re-enter society. And our prisons are not rehabilitating. They're not. We call them corrections. What is, they're not correcting anything. If anything, we're adding the trauma, we're adding to the trauma and just putting these people more in defense mode. And extending and, the, extending the trauma time, right? Extending yes. that time, that one year, that three year, whatever that one is. One to three. Yes. We're making it longer and longer. And then we're like, what's the, what's, why can't they figure it out? Gee, I wonder. <laughs> right? But that's such an important piece is that we've been told that this is a choice. Criminality is a choice. Violence is a choice. Um, and that's the, that's like the headline news. It's, it's just, we don't have don't access. Know. Yeah. I don't know anybody that woke up one day and said, you know, I think I really want to be violent and go to jail when I grow up. <laughs> I just, I don't know anybody <laughs> like that. Right. I mean, I do know, I've heard stories of that is the only hope I have. That's the only, right? that's the only future I see for myself. Exactly. But it's not, it's not a free choice. Right. And it's, but we're basically, we're, we're in an animalistic part of our brain, right? Yes. Yes. We're living, primitive. we're all living in this area. So we can't, we don't have empathy for a Democrat. We don't have mm -hmm. empathy for a black person. We don't have empathy for um, someone who needs an abortion or someone who, who doesn't believe in abortion. We don't have, we can't see the other side because we're traumatized. Mm -hmm. This, yes, we're activated Offline. in here. And yeah. these are triggers for us too. Like um, someone who doesn't believe what we believe is a trigger, right? Yes, yes. Puts us right into our downstairs brains, right? We see it as threatening. Right. We don't know. We don't know how to put our own lids on. And it takes a lot of work. Right. To learn how to put our own lids on. And it, this is the other piece that makes it so tricky is that trauma. Right. It, it activates the defense. Right. Systems so that we don't want to connect or attach to other people. But the best way to heal is to be in community, right? And to heal with other humans because trauma happens in relationship. Therefore, the healing must happen in relationship. Exactly. I mean, that's it. it it's it. I think it actually it makes the process go faster. The healing process go faster because what I'm what I've seen in the circles that I've led, my trauma is the same as the other guy's trauma and another guy has the same thing. And yes. suddenly what he's experiencing in him healing, I'm starting to feel it and I'm starting to heal. So we need circles, don't we? We need a lot yes. of circles. Yes. That's the corrective experience, right? We need to have experiences that surprise our brains, right? This is the, the key to healing, right? Trauma and getting, getting that lid on is that we need to have something that the brain can't categorize, right? Like, wait, here I am in prison with all these guys that I've seen in the yard for years, but we're all sitting here having real conversations and being vulnerable with each other. And I kind of like it, <laughs> right? And that's a corrective experience. And that's the surprise that, that we need and repeated experiences of safety in community, right? With vulnerability, right? That is met with acceptance. Wow. Right? Threat. That is what's healing. Now you take a correctional officer who is not allowed to be vulnerable, like the definition of it. But I love that you said a corrective experience, like, like imagine the Department of Corrections to be right. about cor experiences, right? Mm -hmm. 
Wouldn't that be amazing? It just makes me giggle that the word corrections is possible to actually bring about healing. Like the film, Step Inside the Circle, when, we're all, when yeah. all those men are stepping in. Usually I step in with them, but yeah. I had to be in the set. You know, there were just too many. Um, sure. Because I was, I was right there with them. Um, but that circle was very healing for, I mean, I get a lot of reports about how healing it was to see see this thing that they've held in the secret they've had for all of their lives. Trauma loves secrets, doesn't it? Trauma. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. It loves to hide and it loves, it, it just thrives in the dark. In shame. Yes. Secrets and shame is trauma's best friend. Absolutely. And I, um, so our, our viewers, is there something they can do to start? I mean, we're going to cut this off because we only have an hour, but mm -hmm. is there something they can do that you know of just to, to begin the healing process? Is there an exercise or something we can guide them through? Sure. And again, I'm going to give credit to Resma Menachem, who wrote My Grandmother's Hands and is one of the, I think, wow, most critical voices that we need to be listening to right now. Uh, he's a therapist, he's a somatic experiencing clinician, uh, and he, he's right. We all, it starts with me, right? So I need to start healing my body from the trauma that I have inherited and experienced personally. And, and that starts with understanding what my body feels like when I'm safe. And I have so many clients who just say, I don't even know. I can't even begin to tell you what that feels like. I don't know what safe feels like. Um, but this is something that Resma uh, suggests. It's called orienting, okay? Very simple process, okay? All you need to do, and what it does is it, it actually activates the psoas muscle, which is kind of in your solar plexus in your belly. And this is a muscle that starts to contract, right? When we're afraid or in defense. So we need to work on releasing some of that tension, okay? So with orienting, you know, all we do is um, pick a shoulder, right? I'll pick my left. <laughs> and you're just gonna turn your shoulders and, and your hips too, and just look over your left shoulder. Look around, right? And then come back to center. Okay, right. And then we're gonna look up, feel that stretch in your neck, look around, just peek in your surroundings, and then look down, look down at the floor, if you're outside, look down at the ground and just look around, take in whatever you can see, back to center. Mm -hmm. And then the other shoulder, remember turn your whole shoulder, both shoulders and your hips <laughs> and then back to center and then a nice deep breath and then just see if you can feel a settledness right did you notice a shift or a difference completely yeah it really helped looking behind me too because I I, I feel like I know nobody's there, even though, but my body guess, I guess my body now knows it. Exactly. And this is so important for all of us to start understanding that we, it's within our circle of control, right? It's inside. That means we have agency over this. We can affect this. We can settle our own bodies, right? And we have to learn to settle our own bodies first, and then we can be in community with other settled bodies, right? Teach each other how to be settled together. And that's really when the healing work begins. Wow. Wow, that's incredible. I, I hope everyone did that with us. And if you didn't do it with us, try it out. Try it. <laughs> it's really, it's, it's a, it was a full shift in my body. I, have, mm -hmm. I had tried it before 
when he, with Resma on a podcast, but yes, mm-hmm. it's so incredible. It's and a thank you for that. What, what do we call that? Orienting. Orienting. So right? write, write yes. that down. Orienting. Remember Orient. to orient. Yes. And I do it between every session that I have with clients because I, my body kind of will absorb, right? A lot of the stress that, that I, you know, that, cause I'm walking with them. Right. So between every client, I have to orient myself so that I can be fully present with my lid on for everybody. And it really does help. Wow. I love that. I, 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 God, I wish everyone that we're all fully present with our lids on, right? Yes. Yes. Wow. What a great thing. What a great thing. What a <laughs> great is. thing we can do this for everybody can do. We're all got our lids on. Mm-hmm. We can connect. Yes. Oh, even better. Wow. It's like crazy. Um, Emily Evans, this has been incredible. Oh, do you have any, um, any written assignments that, that might help any, any exercise? Yeah. You know what? If you just go to uh, Google and put uh, grounding, right? Like the ground, like, <laughs> like grounding. Some people in prison don't have Google. No, that's true. They don't. So I'm going to ask the question again. Okay. So Emily Evans, do you have any um, written exercises that um, some of the men and women in prison can do or the correctional officers can do or the people listening to this podcast slash YouTube can do? So, right. So you're thinking like things that they can write like reflections. Right. Some written exercise. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. So um, something I like to do, and again, this is more orienting and it's, it's helping to settle your body, right? Is just take a little snapshot of wherever you are at the moment with your pen and paper and list your five senses, right? So sight, smell, taste, hear, touch, okay? And just write whatever you see next to the sight, right? If you have anything that you can hear, write it down, right? And it's helping you to stay in the present. It's helping you to get that sense of, I am inhabiting my body right here in this moment and I'm hmm. I mean, I mean, that's, that's my dream for everybody is that we can inhabit our bodies and be safe. Yes. I mean, See. wow. Thank you for this gift of this conversation today. It's thanks for giving me the opportunity. I really, I hope we can have you back on maybe once a month. I because, would love that. Because I really think we've got a lot to share. You've got so much to share and so much to give. And um, just thank you for your wisdom and your, and your compassion. Mm, thank you. Likewise, Fritzy. Okay. We'll see you soon. All right. Bye. Okay. Okay. Bye.